It's David Papavici and Eric Gilmore. We're going to talk about 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're hoping to go through all four chapters. No, three, yeah, four chapters in the next uh, couple of months here. But let's just start off with a little bit of prayer that God would open our eyes. Lord, without the Holy Ghost, we cannot see. No matter how hard we try, or no matter how much we define or twist the words or open commentaries, we need your voice that comes only by the unveiling of the Spirit for the person of Jesus Christ to walk into our hearts fresh. Now, Lord, open our eyes that we might see you in your precious name. Amen. Amen. So, Dave, you want to just kick off a couple of thoughts? or? Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking about even looking at second Timothy and, and, uh, you know, with you here, like you mentioned over the next couple of months, and I was just reminded how powerful and necessary it is for us to just comb through the word of God, you know, chapter by chapter and just, just reading and, and praying through and processing through the word of God. But interesting. So I, I was reading a little bit of, you know, background to second Timothy. And, uh, so Paul of course ends his life in Rome and his goal was to get to Rome, which which many people believe, you know, New Testament scholars believe that at that point, um, at, at, at that point in history, that's what they believed, at least the, the Jews that were believers. They believed that the end of the world was was, you know, Spain. He wanted to get as far as he could to Spain. He mentions that to the Romans. He ends up in Rome. He wants to really be faithful to this great commission that God has given him, this apostolic call. And he is in prison, house arrest for a couple of years. We read at the end of Acts, people are able to visit him. He's maybe apparently released at some point, maybe not. But he ends up here when he writes 2 Timothy, the, the, the last portion of his life, we don't know how long, perhaps a few years, in prison just before he's beheaded, uh, most likely than not by Nero. So th that's, that's the backdrop to, to, to this letter here that he's writing to Timothy. Uh, that's pretty amazing to think about him with such a tender heart towards his son in the faith, even in the midst of harsh conditions. I, I was looking at a couple of things we can pull out from this first chapter about Timothy. Number one is in verse two, he is called by Paul, his son in the faith, basically my, my son. Uh, that's just such a tender heartedness. Also, he's acquainted with his grandmother and his mother. And he believes that Timothy has sincere faith. You can see it there in verse uh, five. Also, he's praying for Timothy night and day, which is symbolic of the fact that he's in his heart. And interesting too that he, when they leave each other, it seems like he re he remembers his tears. It could be it could be that they wept last time they saw each other. You know, because they didn't see each oh. other in a while. It could be, but um. Also, Timothy had received a spiritual gift through the hands of Paul, we see in verse uh, 6, which is very interesting because it means that this is actually something that can take place. But through the laying out of hands, a gift can be given and actually can be kindled afresh, as he says there in verse 6. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, no, definitely, yeah. Yeah. Um... Uh, the one thing that that I'm reminded of in uh, Philippians chapter two and talking about Timothy, he mentions about Timothy that he has no one else like Timothy. He says <laughs> all the others, he says all the others have some mixture in their motives mm. or, you know, in, in, in their, 
in their motives, in the way maybe that they obey Jesus, he says, but, but Timothy is Man. genuinely concerned for your welfare. Just that selfless, yes. he had walked with his father in the faith, Paul, for so long. And Paul yes. can say, Paul can say, follow me as I follow Christ <laughs> with confidence. And so Timothy was the one guy that yes. stood out from amongst the rest in a unique way, even to Paul. Mm. And we're about to see here later on in chapter one, how others that Paul had walked with and even through the rest of the, the, the book had not continued to walk yeah. the whole way. You know? Wow. Yeah. It's interesting to note the situation that the situation that Paul is writing from in verse 15, it says here, you're aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me. And then in verse uh, eight, you see, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. So the situation is, as you said, he is in prison and everybody has left him. And with that situation spoken of, the exhortation that Paul gives him in verse six is very interesting because there's two words that connect. It says, um, verse six, uh, sorry, verse seven, for God has not given us a spirit of timidity. Interesting that he says timidity because I mean, maybe the thought of losing people can make us shy away. Maybe the thought of facing prison can make us shy away. But sure. Paul is saying, by the power of God, I'm suffering. So he says, God has not given us a spirit that shrinks away, <laughs> but of power. The same power that is enabling Paul to be Christ's prisoner is the same power that Paul is encouraging Timothy to recognize is with him for the same thing. I thought that was pretty interesting. No, that's amazing, man. A uh, couple of thoughts with that is is one of them is it's it's crazy just to read it, just the rawness of the scriptures where he, where he mentioned in verse fifteen that all who are in Asia turned away from me, and then he actually mentions guys by name. He says among whom are Philegius and Hermogenes. It, and and it's interesting. And the thing that's interesting is that I was reminded how in Acts nineteen, if you remember, Paul is in Ephesus. And he starts this discipleship, discipleship school in the school of Tyrannus. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it actually says that as a result of the impact of the ministry of Paul for those two years in Ephesus, Oh man, the power just went out. <laughs> yeah. no, I, I got power, but I don't have lights. So you want me to just continue? Yeah, just keep going. Okay. It'll come, it'll come on. So as a result, as a result of Paul's, the impact of Paul's ministry it says all of Asia heard the word of the Lord and wow. God had so anointed Paul with power that even handkerchiefs that touched his body and were taken to the sick, healed the sick and drove out devils. The context there is Asia. He's in Ephesus. You can, you can argue that Paul's, uh, I guess you could say the most dynamic, most, uh, uh, you know, as far as like revival oriented by signs and wonders, you know, as, as, yeah. you know, if we want to consider revival, the word of the Lord getting out and that's part of it, uh, signs and wonders, that's part of it. That was Asia. And he's saying those same people <laughs> who were impacted in that way have turned away. And one thing stands out to me, which is in verse in verse three, because he says in verse three, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience when I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night. There's something about the tenderness 
of, of, of the heart when somebody gets born again and, and maintaining a clear or a clean conscience. It's so easy to get out of step with the spirit. It's so easy to violate our own conscience. Good, and even in innocent things, it's not an issue of should I sin or should I not sin? It's an issue of will I obey his voice in this moment? And, and when I don't, that's what gives way to next time when I'm facing the temptation to sin, me choosing to give into sin. I've already uh. numbed that conscience. I've already learned how to compromise that conscience and accept that that low standard, so to speak. And so I think it's interesting that Paul mentions how he has chosen, you know, he says in first Timothy to, to Timothy, he says, fight the good fight. And then of course, at the end of second Timothy, he says, I fought the good fight. <laughs> he mentions how he has maintained this clear conscience and he has done so by living before the face of God day and night and, and washing his mind yeah. with what sincere faith looks like. A broken heart, purity of heart, tears and joy, he says. Yes. <laughs> it brings me joy to remember your tears, right? And, and, and I feel like that's what, that, those tears of Timothy, I believe, were the tears of a son watching a father and learning how to stand before the face of God as a priest. He learned to weep from his father. And uh, those <laughs> tears is what kept that heart soft and that conscience tender. Yeah. Unlike so many others who maybe had experienced the power of God, right? We're talking about people who had demons driven out because somebody showed up with a handkerchief yeah. that wiped some <laughs> of Paul's sweat off, right? But but they left him. And that's crazy to me. Um, anyways, that's just... Yeah, that's beautiful. Let, let's look at the reason why Paul is actually in prison. He gives it very clearly. Verse 9 says, uh, talking of God who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to works. I love that holy calling, not according to works, a holiness that has nothing to do with works. <laughs> and but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I'm appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher for this reason. I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed. What do you think? Man, Paul is something else. <laughs> you know, like, like just the way he, the way Paul pens things is, is something else under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of the living God. In verse one, I, I see a connection even with verse one. So he introduces himself, Paul, an apostle of Christ by the will of God in accordance or in agreement with the promise of life that is in Christ. His very calling is bound up in the purpose of the revealing of life that is found in the face of Jesus. Not just mere existence, but the source, the purpose, and the ultimate meaning of life. Yes. And, and it's interesting because he mentions, as you said in verse 10 and in verse 11, that um, this has, of which, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our savior, Christ Jesus, who abolishes death yeah. and brings life and immortality to light. Paul is imprisoned because he has chosen to identify with the one who is the source of life yes. and the one who by the power of a resurrected life crushes <laughs> the realm of death. Yeah, and the, the context that he's in, the world that he's in is this fallen world, this world underwater, so to yeah. speak 
persecutes that message of life. But Paul lives victorious, though in the very throes of prison. Right. As you mentioned, he suffers by the power of God in a spirit of power, love, which is a spirit of self-giving yeah. and self-control. Oh, bro, this makes praise erupt, doesn't it? It just causes a, an eruption of praise. Hallelujah. Blessed be, you know, you feel like a, a surge of like glory to his name. You know, it's like those deep roots of the wellspring of the spirit on the inside get, get, stirred up by speaking of the gospel of life. You know, I read last night from C.S. Lewis. He said, we praise things that we enjoy. And he says, it isn't until we praise the thing that we enjoy that it's actually consummated. For instance, if I eat a good piece of watermelon and I enjoy it, I say, oh, this is good. I just gave praise to what I enjoyed and therefore consummated my enjoyment by praise. And so in the same way, when we enjoy God or hear of this great gospel, this wonderful life, abolishing death and bringing to life and light and immortality by Jesus Christ, it's like, I enjoy, yes, this is a lot, I praise you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like you, you, you consummate your enjoyment of this wonderful gospel through praise. It's, an, it's a, an eruption. Even as I sent you that quote last night from John Piper, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something to the effect of praise that we don't feel. It, it's kind of, it kind of uh, lessens what we're praising. Yeah. yeah. I can read it to you now. Yeah, to, yeah, the degree that our, to the degree that our praise is without feeling, to that degree, it falls short of commending the preciousness of what we praise. Oh my God. John Piper. That's glorious. So as you're talking, I just feel that that eruption of praise on the inside. But last, lastly, for, for me on my side of things, the last thing I was seeing in this chapter is that after we see this glorious gospel spoken of by Paul, he says to Timothy, retain the standard of sound words. What sound words? He just He just spoke of them. He just basically unfolded this gospel of Christ the appearing of our savior who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. He has called us with a holy calling, not according to works, but according to his own purpose and his grace. These are the words. And he's telling him to retain this standard, which you have heard from me in faith and love, which are in Jesus Christ. And then lastly, not just retain, but guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure Man, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. In my thoughts, in line with the context of the chapter, I feel like the retaining and the guarding have to do with keeping the gospel in its proper place, in the center, wow. not moving wow. it, not bending it. It has to remain the source and center. I read the other day from a guy, he said the gospel is thought to be the runway for the plane to take off. He said, this is not true. The gospel is the engine in the plane. It, it keeps it, it gets it up and it keeps it up. The gospel never leaves. It is what we must retain. It is that which must be guarded by the Holy Spirit. Um, as he goes on, as you said earlier, he goes on to talk about false doctrines and many people who have slipped into other things. And he's encouraging Timothy, even if you have to suffer, even if you get put in prison with me, retain the, the standard and guard by the Holy Ghost this gift that's entrusted to you. What, what do you think? 
No, that's, that's good, man. That's so good. Um, it's, it makes me think about even what we talked about last time we, we connected talking about the, the role of the priest, the priest w- was called to tend and to guard just as Adam was called to, to tend and to guard the garden. And so just that, that, that guarding, that's that the role of the priest, it's the priesthood. Uh, and, and I think it's beautiful. One of the things that it makes me think about as well is, is how important it is to, to constantly just wash our minds and hearts with these things so that we can in fact live free. Paul is speaking as a free man, free in Christ, right? I mean, he, he teaches us through his letters, what freedom means. Yes. And this world that he's, he's proclaiming the gospel in is, is bound by sin is in chains to sin. And so they choose to imprison freedom when they see it. When they see freedom in a man, the world's response is imprison that one because he refuses to be in chains like us. They're in chains to sin. He's a prisoner of his Lord. It's, 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 it's a crazy, like, uh, what's the word there? Like, oh my uh, gosh. it's ironic, right? Like it's, 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 it's ironic, but it's interesting as well. I thought to myself about Paul's life and, um, uh, Jesus in Gethsemane, he's in Gethsemane and, uh, you know, the crowds were hailing him. They were praising him. Hosanna just a week before they wanted to make him King because he multiplied the bread and the, you know, the loaves and the fishes. And they were so blessed by his ministry. I'm thinking about Paul's ministry in Ephesus. And of course the different journeys, missionary journeys he was on. And then of course, Jesus is in Gethsemane and he comes to his disciples and he says to them, and he's about to identify with the cross to make, to, to truly bring life and immortality to light by crushing the power of death. <laughs> but it's within that setting that he, that his own disciples, he cannot even find those that would just stay up with him. Yeah, come on. Yeah. It's, it's just him and his father. It's a father and a son. In that intimate moment by the power of the spirit, we see the Trinitarian, we see the beauty of, the, of Trinitarian theology in that moment at play. And Jesus, of course, is sweating blood and, and what's ahead. But it's interesting because I, I see like a, a, a similarity, even in Paul's life, uh, all those are turning away, but he has a son. <laughs> he has, and even in verse one, he says to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the father and the Christ Jesus, the son, right? <laughs> Our Lord. Um, yeah, it's, it's, Paul has learned life by beholding God yes. and watching the way God does life. <laughs> he watching the way the father reveals the son interacts with the son the way the son interacts with the father by the spirit paul is watching by the spirit as he pours through the scriptures in the place of the spirit's been revealed to him grace has been given he now understands life because he understands god yes praise god and so he it's it's that same life that he's preaching to the world it's that same life that he's brought his son up in and it's that same life that the world that is bound in death the world around him that's bound by death and imprisoned to sin seeks to we want to we want to bind you and imprison you because Mm -hmm. it's that life that they're uh that they're uh, so convicted by, but it's, it's Paul has made it a life pattern of guarding it, of guarding it, of, of retaining it, of keeping yeah. it, of nourishing it. And that's what you're talking about. How would you say practically for somebody listening today, like, how do we, how do we 
how do we guard? How do we retain and guard that treasure? Yeah. By the Holy Spirit. Uh, in my in my opinion, I, I believe you would probably agree with me just with a, a greater explanation than I can give. But it says, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. To me, it's attention to the internal presence. As I turn attention to the internal presence, I experience that life and in essence, that immortality that has been brought to life or light through Jesus Christ. I feel as if it is turning attention to the sweet, empowering presence of the Lord. That is the essence of even the spirit Paul speaks of is given to Timothy that is not timid, but powerful with love and self-discipline or or a sound mind, however, however, however you see that. But I think another way to see this life effect or this uh, guarding is is uh, in verse eight. It, Paul calls himself his prisoner with a capital H. He he recognizes providentially God has put him there, and wonderfully so because we have this letter that probably would not have been written had he not been in the dungeon at that time or in the prison situation that he's in providentially paul recognizes yes i am in change because of them but god has enabled me to be here in this moment even as joseph said uh god sent me or it says david writes of joseph god sent joseph to egypt you know god didn't actually send joseph to egypt but he used everything in joseph's life to put him in that place or when joseph says what you meant for evil god meant for good in in some strange providential way paul recognizes i'm christ's prisoner i belong to him he put me here and i'm gladly be here i pulled a quote from uh samuel rutherford those of you that don't know samuel rutherford uh he was uh in scotland and the king of england wanted to be the head of the church Rutherford was not having it. He wrote a book called Rex Lex against the king being the head of the church. He was put in prison for high treason. And before he was tried, he died there. Um, and while he's in prison, he wrote this letter. And I think this is the essence of guarding what has been entrusted to us through the experience of his presence on the inside or that life that has been brought to light through Jesus Christ. He says, I have seen that my Lord hath made my cross as if it were all crystal so that I can see through it. I can see Christ's fair face and heaven itself and that God hath honored a lump of sinful flesh and blood like me to be Christ's honorable Lord prisoner. Oh, the walls of a thieves hole, any stinking dungeon are all hung with tapestry, most beautiful for my Lord Jesus. The sun shineth upon my prison and the fair wide heaven is the covering of it. <laughs> His sweet visits hath done more to me than anything else for he maketh me to find that he will be a confined prisoner with me. He will lie down with me and rise up with me. And when I sigh, he sigheth. And when I weep, he suffereth together uh, with me. And one more quick one. It says, uh, he writes, God is pleased now to feast the exiled prisoner with lovely presence. For it suiteth Christ well to be kind and to eat with me. <laughs> Such a sinner as me in my prison. I am in Christ's tutoring here. He hath made me content with a borrowed fireside, and it casteth as much heat even as my own. I want nothing but real possession of Christ. He hath made my king. He has made me king over all my losses, even my imprisonment, even my banishment. 
He says, Christ is most worthy to be suffered for. <laughs> wow. So in essence, I think what we hear in Rutherford is experiencing the presence of God within, no matter what's happening without. And to me, this is how we guard that which has been entrusted to us by the Holy Spirit who is inside of us. Would you say that that's uh, similar to what you would say? Yeah, no, I think that's amazing. I think that's amazing. And even Rutherford, I love Rutherford. One of the things that I think a lot of those like old Puritan writers, not just the Puritan writers, but a, a lot of those just classic uh, writers who had gone through so much suffering, there's so much power in the way they just cast themselves, just absolute trust upon his sovereign care. And, uh, and they choose to look at life through that perspective. And now obviously, I know we, we share similar beliefs when it comes to, you know, I believe there's a role in us to play, you know, um, you know, the devil attacks, we, we press against it, of course, we stand with the truth, but, but there's also another element, I believe both are true, both are true, I'm meaning one, God expects us to respond to his word and push up against the gates of hell. But then there's also the other side to where we entrust ourselves to his sovereign care and whatever we face in life, uh, like imprisonment and suffering and things of that nature, we, we choose to find him <laughs> in the moment. And, you know, it's interesting because I, I'm thinking to myself, why is it that it's, it's so rare to find those that are willing to suffer with him, even here in the Middle East, you know, where. It's, it's not unlike other parts of the world. The context is different, but human nature is the same. And one of the things we're consistently, that we consistently run into is those that come to faith. Maybe they have open eye visions of Jesus or they've been healed supernaturally. I mean, it's powerful testimonies. If you hear the testimonies of how Muslims come to Christ consistently, hmm. more often than not, it is it is it it supersedes the testimonies you'll hear maybe back in the US. You know, it's not, it's it's encounters with the Lord. But yet we, we, we get to that same place, that, that place of resistance when they have to face suffering and then they, they, they want to naturally just shrink back. Hmm. And there's something about human nature that wants to remain alive, although our life without him is sourced by death. Wow. <laughs> right. We want to remain alive, but, but the life that we want to hold on to is the life under the realm of death. Yeah. And we want to add him who is life to that life where Christ says, no, 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 no. Offer up all of your life that I would be all in all. And it's, is that, is that the very same thing that he talks about with Onesiphorus in verse 16? He, he mentions how all of Asia, including Philegius and Hermogenes turn away from him. But this guy Onesiphorus goes out of his way to find Paul in Rome who has a death sentence who now himself, his own identity is, can be found by those that are punishing and killing Christian leaders. Right. And he refreshes Paul. He does not take his own life into account. He has nothing at all to gain. It's not, Lord, if I come to you, if I say yes, what do I get out of it? Man, so like, good. What will be the benefits for me? The, the, the spirit Paul's talking about that enables us to guard and in fact is what we're guarding, the life of God within us. Is not a spirit of fear because fear considers self before anything else, right? You look at a, you're on a, a high mountain and you're like, you know, I'm, I'm going to jump, whatever, parasail, whatever. You fear, you know, whatever the case is, you're on a roller coaster. You fear. Why? Because it's what's going to happen to me. Fear is possible when I am the number one thing to be considered in the equation, right? That's when fear is made possible. Uh, no one who is completely oblivious of himself is afraid in the moment. 
Peter walking on the water when he sees the Lord and he hears his voice and he says, if that is you, bid me to come. And Peter walks not just on the waves, but on his words. He's walking without fear because he's completely, the anointing of God suspends all self-consciousness. The moment he's aware of himself and his surroundings again, he begins to sink. Fear creeps back in. But it's interesting because Paul says in verse 7, God has not given us a spirit of fear that would magnify self. Yes. Fear is the evidence of the magna, self being magnified. When you fear the Lord, you will not fear man. He says, but a spirit of power and love. Love. Selfless. Defined by God is selfless, yeah, self-giving. It's good. And it's, it's I, you know, I'm thinking about like, why aren't believers, you know, why, why aren't we at different times as Christians around the world willing to embrace suffering? Like Paul says, he says, this is why I suffer. Not because he committed crimes or, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, like he didn't get caught up like in some kind of a crazy, like protest or rally or something like that. Like he, you know what I mean? He suffered as a preacher, apostle, and teacher because he brought the message of yes. immortality and life that crushes yes. the head of death. Yes. The, the serpent and Satan through the cross. He embodied that message and he heralded that message. And as a result, they said, you must be a prisoner wow. because you shine the light upon our own prison cell. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just, I, I'm just thinking about, as you're it's talking so about good. Rutherford, Rutherford, yeah. I feel like some of these like classic guys, they understood I inch, just, I will cast myself upon his sovereign care. Yeah. Let him be all. I'm not going to try to figure it out. I'm just going to yeah. trust him and lean into him and really? love him and choose to see even his prison cell as a palace. And I think the reason we're not willing to is because we regard self too much. Paul, I mean, let's look at second Timothy chapter one is the last thing to a celebrity preacher. <laughs> right? He, he is the last thing to a celebrity preacher. Why? I'm, I'm, and I, I want to I think about myself first. To whatever degree, Lord, that I'm not willing to suffer, to that very degree that I'm not willing to embrace suffering for the sake of your glory. Wow. To that degree, I'm holding something back in reservation because of what I may have to lose so that another could be refreshed hmm. because that's Onesiphorus. He didn't take his own reputation, his own uh, economic status could have been in jeopardy if he would have been found to identify himself with Paul. Uh -huh. he, he wanted to refresh another. And Paul says, remember him. May the Lord remember him. Hmm. Paul's an embodiment of that. Timothy, Philippians chapter two, is, stands head and shoulders above the rest because hmm. he's like that. Because they know the one who is love. Um, anyways, man, uh, that's beautiful. I read actually in Matthew 28 today or 27, they speak out this wisdom when Jesus is on the cross, but it's so hidden that they didn't realize the wisdom of the ages was on their tongues. They say he saved others, but he cannot save himself. N not realizing wow. that's, that's the whole, <laughs> you just nailed it, but they, they still right, can't right. see it. But that's what you're saying. Oh. In order to save others, we cannot save ourselves. It's like Jackie Pollinger said, the gospel always gives life to the hearer and death to the giver. And, and so it is with all things in this Christian life, even as Paul writes in uh, Acts 20, verse 24, you know it well, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus 
to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And, you know, I remember one of your favorite quotes from Samuel Rutherford was, when I'm in the cellar of affliction, I look for God's choicest wines. (laughs) And and, and last point too, uh, I was thinking, you remember it was Peter's inability to receive the fact that Jesus would suffer. That was his biggest issue at first. Yes. Remember Peter's like, no, 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 you're not going to suffer. It's so funny that in Peter's letters, we have some of the greatest revelation of suffering. Wow. (laughs) Isn't it crazy? The very thing that was a stumbling block to him became the step of his ministry. He, he teaches us that wonderful phrase that we must follow in Christ's footsteps and suffer together with him. I don't know if anybody who speaks as cleanly or, uh, I mean, he only has two letters, but he speaks so much of suffering and it's glory, suffering and glory he puts together. And we learn of this through the one who wouldn't receive Christ at first as a sufferer, but because when he sees the glory of Christ and he receives the spirit and he recognizes the wisdom of God, then he says, guys, I didn't get it at first, but now I get it. Suffering brings glory. <laughs> wow. Man, it's interesting. Even when, when Jesus restores him at the end of John, how he says, do you love me three times? But then he ends after he says, feed my sheep, tend my lambs. He ends with, uh, at the end of, you know, when you were a young man, you would, you would dress yourself, mm-hmm. go wherever you wanted. But at the end of your life, someone will lead you by the hand. And so it's, he connects again, love and suffering. It's, <laughs> it's this message. It's this message that Paul heralds, these apostles heralded that pointed to the source and the meaning and the fullness and the fulfillment of life in the person of Christ. And Paul is saying, I choose to point and herald this message of the self-giving one in a self-giving way. And that's why I suffer. I feel like like so often we don't have to face the same pressures, not because we don't live in North Korea, but maybe because we're (laughs) pointing to the self-giving one, but not necessarily in that self-giving way. Do you know what I mean? Like it's, it's something that costs. I think about my own life and, and how much more by the grace of God, I want to grow into descending into him. (laughs) I want to ascend into descending. (laughs) My, my heart's desire is to ascend into the holy descent, (laughs) which is going low so that he may be all. That's beautiful. But, but the beauty of bro, the beauty of Jesus. I'm sorry, just one. The beauty of Jesus, yeah. the, the, the magnificence of Jesus, who once he inherits all the kingdoms in 1 Corinthians 15, offers them to his father because that's the very nature of God the Son, so that God will be all in all. Oh my <laughs> right? gosh. Bro, he he can do nothing but be the lamb from forever <laughs> past the forever future. Praise God, man. It's that C.S. Lewis quote again, bro. It causes the eruption of praise. How unsearchable are his riches and his ways. They're beyond scrutiny. He's, he's, he's just, he's unfathomable. His wisdom is just, it, it births worship. It births praise. Uh, you want to pray for, for me, please? And pray for the people? <laughs> yeah, pray for myself, pray for us all. <laughs> Uh, uh, yeah, I remember uh, just one last thing, just a quote by a, a, a brother who actually was a contemporary. He's still alive. He's got to be maybe like in his 80s. He was a contemporary of of Wormbrand, younger, but a mm-hmm. Romanian pastor. 
And just before we left to, uh, to Iraq, before we moved here as a family, I sat with him at his kitchen table. And, and he said to me, he says, you need to remember one thing. He said, talking about, you know, the things that you may have to face or suffering or the fear of death or whatever the case may be, he said, and it reminded me of that same heart and spirit that Rutherford and so many others have carried and have pointed the way for us ahead. He said, they can't take anything from you. You have no reason to be afraid because they can't take anything from you if you are going there because you are there to give. <laughs> if, if you have, if you have yeah. come or if you are going for the purpose of giving Jesus, they can't take anything from you because you've, you've showed up with the heart intent of giving. And it's, it's this beauty of the person of Jesus that I feel like all of us need to, to view and to, to, you know, draw our hearts near to that fire that, that Paul, as Paul tells uh, Timothy, we can fan uh, that thing into flame in our hearts. So yeah, definitely we'll pray. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity uh, just to connect again with Eric and even just to walk through Second Timothy chapter one. Lord, I know that, Lord, we know that men and women, saints of old, have poured over this chapter, have wept over this chapter. How many tears have been shed? Uh, how much blood even has been spilled? Lord, lives have been given, empowered by the grace and the revelation of Christ and the beauty of the gospel through this chapter. Lord, we ask you to install and establish within us, Lord within us first, Lord. We pray for ourselves first. This grace that Paul talks about, this holy calling, this grace that does not come from works, does not come from effort or our own abilities, certainly nothing at all that we deserve, but because you are good, Lord. Bring to light in our own hearts this message of life. Reveal to us, Lord, the power of a resurrected life according to the spirit of holiness. Teach us, Lord, how to love by pouring out your love in us in greater ways, Lord, and give us grace, Lord, to see the opportunities around us, Lord, that we can ourselves pour out the love that you have poured within us. Thank you, Lord, for the revelation of Father and Son by the Spirit. God, and all those watching today, Lord, in Jesus' name, Lord, even today, thank you for the fresh reminder that you have not given us a spirit of fear, mm. that we would shrink back from you, that we would pull away from you, but that we would run towards you, knowing that you are pouring out in these last days a spirit of power and love and a sound mind. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I remembered when you were praying, Madame Guyon echoed Richard Sibbs when she was in prison. She said, I prayed until this, the walls in my cell shone like rubies. <laughs> thank God wow. for the, thank God for the presence of the spirit that can't be taken from us. And no matter where we end up or what, uh, situation we find ourselves in his presence is installed and we can drink of the river of his delights anywhere thank god for that if you guys are uh, wanting to support uh 
Kingdom Gospel Mission, the missionary organization that Dave started that works in the Middle East. You guys can go to kgmiq.org or com. Org. 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 So kgmiq.org if you want to help their missions organization. Uh, all my information will be down below, but we thank you guys so much for watching and uh, stay tuned. We're going to come back with chapter two. In a, in, a, in a week or so. So, blessings to you all. Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. Jesus speaks to us about prayer. And he says, When you pray, go into your most private room and closing the door, pray to your Father who sees in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you in the open. This actual text is what the entire course is going to be driving home. We must spend time with God. We're going to talk practically about how to experience Him, experiencing and enjoying God from the Scriptures. These things have changed my life, and I know the Lord will change yours as well.